0: right now, come on, give it up to the king of the world, come on, man, what an awesome honor it is to be with you guys, all of our Elevation campuses, and here's what's amazing, we're not just live with all of our Elevation campuses, we're actually going live with our church, Hope City in Houston, Texas, come on, welcome everybody in, thousands of people watching online, God bless you guys, welcome, turn to somebody next to you and say, I feel good. Turn to somebody on the other side and say, I knew that I would. Turn to somebody in front of you and say, Dana,ana,ana. Don't do that. Don't do that. You can be seated at all of our campuses. What an honor it is to be with each and every one of you. Such a blessing. In fact, if it is your first time at Elevation Church, thank you so much for coming out. You owe it to yourself to come back and hear one of the greatest communicators, one of the greatest leaders of our time, Pastor Stephen and Holly Ferdy. Come on, give it up for your pastors. I love them. Because I know, I know when I walked out here, I felt the collective disappointment. You guys are like, that's not Pastor Steven. He doesn't meet the bicep circumference requirements to be able to say Seriously, can I just, can I just share with you guys? Is it okay if I'm just honest? Good, because I was going to be anyway. Um, when Pastor Steven called me and was like, hey, can you come? I was like, yes, that's, it's a yes. What an honor. But on the inside, secretly, I was like, oh, I need more time. I need like six months to go to CrossFit and like, Get myself ready, man. Ah, so I ate some donuts and uh, felt better. Um, wore my manliest outfit today. Put my boots on. Put my, my my plaid shirt on. I just caught a look at myself. I look like the brawny paper towel guy. So whatever. I'm doing my best up here, man. <laughs> it really is an honor to be with you guys. Let me let me tell you. If you don't know, Elevation Church, what God has done through you is amazing. Um, what you are part of is, is, is truly incredible and has given life and strength and encouraged faith in church planters and pastors worldwide when we launched our church in 2015 we did not question what god could do because we had been watching what god had done in you and i want to thank you for saying yes i want to thank you pastor steven and holly for saying yes we will let's go and it encouraged us. And I want to encourage you. You better have somebody you're looking to. Because God has not called you to stay where you are. Wherever you are right now is not where God has finished with you. He's calling you to move forward. So don't build a house where God said build a tent. Make sure that you're mobile and ready to do what God has called you. I'm ready to preach up in here on a Sunday. So I want to, I want to thank God. For you guys, because we're looking to you, find somebody that you can look to, because God will use them, and they will help you look through to where God is taking you to. So, I want to thank Pastor Stephen and Holly one more time. Give them a great big hand! What an amazing honor. Now, this weekend we're going to jump into Matthew chapter eleven, and I had a complete moment of freak out yesterday um, because I've been on a little spring break vacation. I have five kids. Um, it feels like eighty seven, but it's only five, and. Um, They range in ages from 17 all the way down to two. And so uh, we have three girls, 17, 16, and six, and two boys, three and two. So it's all hormones and diapers in the house. It is what it is. So I came prepared. but, but I, was, I hadn't had a chance to listen to the podcast because, like most of you, I'm also a podcast listener. I listen to Pastor Stephen every week. And, and yesterday, in preparation, final prep for the weekend, I already had what I was going to say. They called me on March 5th and said, hey, we want you to preach. Pastor Stephen preached a message on March 3rd called in- Invisible Prisons. Anybody remember Invisible Prisons, Powerhouse? And he used this exact same text. And so yesterday, somebody just said, uh-oh, that's exactly what I said. Yesterday in the hotel room, I was like, all right, I'm fired up. I'm fired. I'm ready to go. So I'm playing Pastor Stephen. And I listen to Pastor Stephen on time and a half. You know, you can turn it up like one and a half speed. So he's super fast while he's preaching. And I'm like, yeah. And as he's preaching, I slowed it down. I was like, no, 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 no. This is the uh, He's preaching the same thing that I'm going to preach. And like, I typically preach his notes and now he's preaching mine. And this is weird. And I'm like, ah, I'm freaked out. (laughs) And then I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, no, I, I need to make sure that they get it. Because there's too many people still locked in an invisible prison of expectation. And I'm trying to help you. You, you, you got to get around the right people. You got to expect God to do amazing things because the enemy will constantly challenge you. And if you want to know why the enemies challenge you, every acre of kingdom territory will be contested. But last time I checked, we serve a God who is greater. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that's at work. Where? In us. So where does the enemy try to build the prisons? In us. Not around us. In us. In our minds and in our hearts and in our relationships through our expectations. So we end up with wrong expectations. That's exactly where we pick up Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist. Verse 2 says he was in prison and he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So. Everybody say so. For those of you who are educated, that's a coordinating conjunction. It means what you're getting ready to hear is based on what you just heard. He heard about what Christ was doing. What was Jesus doing? He was healing the sick. Blind eyes were being opened. Deaf ears were being unstopped. John the Baptist hears this. So he questions Jesus' identity. He says, are you the Messiah we've been looking for? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting Or should we keep looking for someone else? Isn't it weird when Jesus' actions cause you to doubt his authenticity? What was John expecting? Well, We know that it was out of line with what Jesus was doing. And Jesus was doing everything that was prophesied. So who's wrong here? John or Jesus? I'm going to say, it ain't Jesus. It's one. Okay, come on somebody. Have you ever expected something and it just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out? Like you thought it was going to be all, you're like, this that's going to be awesome. And you're like, that was not awesome. <laughs> I love being able to pastor in Houston, Texas. I come from a family of cowboys. Um, my high school sport was bull riding. I, uh, I rode bulls and sat courses, horses. I broke my ankle, my wrist, my shoulder piece in my back, tore ligaments in my jaw, my, fruit, my left leg off, ribs, fingers, tailbone, tailbone, not a cool break. Um, no way you can make that cool. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so, so I love, I love, the whole cowboy life, and Houston has the world's largest indoor rodeo. It's called the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and for 21 nights, about 78,000 people gather in NRG Stadium where the Texans play, and they watch some of the greatest cowboys and cowgirls in the world compete, and also, at the, at the end of that rodeo segment, they push a stage out into the middle of the arena, and they, and they put on some of the best concerts, and you can watch every... This year, they have Cardi B and George Strait, so, like, you can watch... <laughs> Like, whoever you want to see. You know what I mean? Like, for me, it's short straight. I'm just going to say it. Like, that's just, it's for me. But, so, we love going out there. The problem is that the good seats are really expensive. Like, up to three, 400 bucks. And the scalpers get those seats and sell them for three grand. And that ain't how your boy rolls. So, I buy the $19 ticket. And then I just sit wherever I want. Because the Lord said I could have wherever I go. And I'm like, I'm going into CA3 right here. <laughs> very embarrassing for my wife especially when somebody walks down the aisle and you can tell that you're in their seat I'm like girl look straight ahead right now in Jesus name (laughs) and the reason the reason those shoot seats are so expensive the front row seats are so expensive it's because they take those six rows of people right after the rodeo when they clear the floor and push the stage out and they bring them out down on the rodeo floor and they get to watch the the concert from right there in front of that stage and if you know this is going to happen then you know there's six rows of seats that are going to be open and you can position yourself at the top of the stairs and walk into a blessing that has been vacated by somebody else you got to align yourself i preached last year alignment determines assignment you got to align yourself I ain't even preaching. I'm telling a story. All right, so so we were at the front. We were at the front of the line, and it gets intense. Like I had to throw some elbows. I was like, I'm a pastor. People are like, where do you pastor? I was like, Elevation Church, North Carolina. I was like, how did you say that? They're like, you ain't Stephen Furtick. I was like, ah, and grew a beard immediately. Um, I'm sorry, Pastor Stephen, I love you, guys. It'll be my last time here. Let's make it awesome. Um, so that that. <laughs> That night, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of the worship leader, uh, Keith Urban. He was leading worship that night. Um, Some of you guys might have heard. There's a new wind blowing like I've never known. That's up, Brother Keith. Breathing deeper than I've ever done. And it sure feels good. Finally feel the way I do. My wife's watching the service. That's why I keep singing. Y'all are like, why don't you stop? That's for you, girlfriend. All right. um, Scoring points up on the stage at Elevation. Again, my last time here, guys. Let's make it fun. All right. And my wife loves Keith Urban, and so I slung elbows. We ended up on the front row, and Keith comes out a little hairless arm, playing his guitar, flipping his little hair around. And he, he jumps off the stage, and he's playing, and he's walking away from us. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, help him to come this way. And he hears the Holy Spirit. He comes. I don't know if you heard the Holy Spirit, but he started coming towards us. And he, he climbed the gate right in front of us. I got a picture of it. Keith Urban climbs right in front of us. Look at this right here. He's right. That's took. Your boy took that picture. He climbs right up. And at this moment, he hands the microphone over to his security. And he starts coming towards us. And at that point, my wife lost her mind. She was like, oh my God, my God. I was like, that ain't my name. He wanted, he should have put a ring on it. <laughs> but when he... <laughs> When he comes, sorry, girl. When he comes across, when he comes across, he doesn't come towards her. He comes towards your boy. So my wife hands me her phone. She's like, "Get a video!" And I got a video of Keith Urban right up in my grill. I brought my video. Y'all want to see my video? Roll my video. I tried to get on the video team here at Elevation. They were like, "No." When we were leaving, she was like, "Let me see the video." And I was like, "There you go." She was like, "You're a moron." I was like, "Baby, I don't know what happened." She said, "I do." Right when he got over closer, you were like, "Oh my God!" Damn it. Security had to move him away. <laughs> it did not turn out the way I expected it to turn out. Now it's funny when we're talking about a concert, but it ain't funny when we're talking about your marriage. It's not funny when we're talking about what's going on in your life and your finances with your kids and you're sitting here acting like you've got it all together but you expected everything to be different than what it is and you're saying, I thought I was going to be further along than this and I I thought God was going to come through. What happens when God zigs and you zag and you're out here kind of left on your own and you've been declaring in faith and it doesn't work out the way that you wanted it to work out? What happens when your expectations for God to do something for you are off and you've you've expected God to do something he never said he would do? Listen, here's what I want you to understand. God may not always live up to your expectations, but he will always live up to his word. If he said he would never leave you, he'll never leave you. If he said he would never forsake you, he'll never forsake you. But you got to make sure your expectations are right. Some of us believe also, we'll say he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, and then we just throw some other theology in there. He'll never put on you anything more than you can bear. Wrong. No, I thought thought that was the scripture. Well, it is, but it's out of context. He said, I'll never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, but I'll provide a way of escape. It's talking about temptation, not life. Listen, it's appointed unto man once to die. You can't bear that. Look at the apostle Paul. They cut his head off. Can't bear that. God will never allow you to have a life that makes him unnecessary. At some point, you're just going to have to learn to trust him, God. Whatever happens, I just trust you. But it's hard. I was raised in church. How many of y'all raised in church? All campuses, raise your hand. you raised in church. Come on, look at that. Well, I'm going to test you right now. We're going to find out if you were raised in a real church or not. Your boy was raised in real church. We never had chairs, y'all. We, didn't have, we, had, we were way more sanctified than that. We had pews. And we had church so long, your boy could get a two-hour nap under there, still get out and get two good hours of word. Come on. We used to sing this song when I was a kid, all right? I'm going to test your churchiness right now. I'm going to check, check if you're an OG, if you're over gospel. I'm going to check, all right? So I'm gonna sing the first part, and if you know it, you sing the rest of it, okay? You ready? He's an all-time God. All yes, oh, 68 people are saved. Come on, some. <laughs> uh, the rest of y'all, we're gonna give you an altar call in a minute. You get saved. <laughs> Here it goes. He's an all-time God. And then the church would say, Yes, he is. All right, we're gonna try it again, and you sing it, all right? He's an all-time God. Yes, he is oh, white people. <laughs> You got it. Yes, he is. No, no, no. You got to hold it. Yes, he is. Yeah. Oh, you got to, you got to go. You got to bring it out. Okay. I'm going to give you another chance. He's an on time guy. Yes, Some of y'all were even tricking. There's a lady over there doing the Mariah Carey hand. I was like, all right, you go, girl. You can't be on the worship team, but you sure look good. We would say this, he may not come when you want him to, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on time God. Yes, he is. But here was my question as I got older if he's an on time God, whose time is he on? Because he ain't on my time. And there are times when you think he was going to come through and you think he was going to do what you wanted him to do, and he doesn't do what you thought he was going to do, and it creates doubt. And now I'm a man of God, I love Jesus. But I'm doubting him. Just to be very direct and very open with you. I've doubted whether God was going to come through. I've doubted whether he was even real or not. Now that might disqualify me. It's probably not good for job security. (laughs) Because I'm a pastor. But it's the truth. And it's an invisible prison that you better deal with. Or it'll tear you up from the inside out. Bible says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask according to the power that's at work within us. And that's where the prison gets built. And we can look at somebody on the outside and act like everything's fine, but on the inside be crumbling. And if that's where you are this weekend, no matter where you're watching, whatever campus that you're at, no matter where you're watching, I want you to understand this word is for you because you just joined the very elite club. If you, if you're doubting God, look no further than Job. Now, Job, at his time, is the greatest believer of his day. And we talk about the faith of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, yet will I praise him. But nobody talks about Job chapter 14, verse 19. Here's what he said. As waters wear away the stones, and as floods wash away the soil of the earth, so you, O Lord, destroy the hope of man. Thanks, Job, so positive. Nobody's making destroy the hope of man bracelets. You guys, get them on the way out. Destroy the hope of man. God bless you. Chris is not back there working on you. Destroy the hope of man. He's not working on a new song. Elevation worship. Destroy the hope of man. It's great. Get it. (laughs) But it's a real moment. See, sometimes we act like these guys were just bastions of faith. And there were moments when they were just going through it. Look at Jeremiah, powerhouse man of God. But he says this in Jeremiah 15, 8. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Why did you read it in that stupid accent? Because I want God to know that was Jeremiah, not Jeremy. We different people. I didn't say that. That scares me. I read it in context. I tried to find a way out. I read the whole chapter. He's calling God a liar. Wilt thou be a liar? Hey, man, easy. Remember, that's God. If you're mad at God, you might as well tell him, right? Because he already knows. It ain't like you're like me and God ain't talking right now. He knows all things, right? You don't, get, you don't get more powerful than Elijah was. When Elijah prayed, stuff happened. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. And at the end of three years, he said, we're going to have a showdown, throwdown with the prophets of Baal that the people of God have been worshiping. Why don't you bring your prophets to the mountain? I'll come to the mountain. You build an altar. I'll build an altar. We'll pray to our gods, and whichever God answers by fire, that's the one true God. That's not a good way to handle inter-office arguments. Straight Old Testament. and they build an altar, and they pray to their God, and they scream to their God. If you don't believe that the Bible has a sense of humor, you need to read this story. Because Elijah is hilarious. He taunts them. He says, uh, uh, did you guys schedule it with your God? Maybe he's on vacation. Spring break. You know, he's gone. He's with the kids. I mean, Elijah's funny. Then he goes on. He taunts them even further. He says, uh, hey, scream louder. Maybe your God's a heavy sleeper, and you just really got to wake him up. I can't wait to meet Elijah. He's a straight thug. That's funny, dude. It's so disrespectful and hilarious. And then they're like, all right, we're done. All day they try. We're done. It's your turn. He goes, it's my turn. You sure? You sure? I can go now? I can go? He builds an altar. He puts a sacrifice on it. He digs a trench around it. He finds water from somewhere. It hadn't rained in three years. He pours water over it until it saturates the altar. It saturates the stones. It fills the trench. And then he prays a one paragraph prayer and fire falls from heaven and laps up all of the altar, all of the water. And then he turns and he looks at the prophets of Baal and says, how do you like me now? And drops the mic that didn't happen but it's something like that and then they slay all the prophets of Baal he turns and he looks at the king and he says you better run because I hear the sound of rain then he goes back and he gets down in the dirt buries his face in the sand and he prays until it rains and then he outruns the king's chariot on the way down the mountain this dude's a powerhouse man of God I mean I'm talking awesome and then he gets a letter from the queen I paraphrase Elijah, comma. Don't love what you did to my prophets. Exclamation point, mean face emoji. I'm gonna do it back to you, comma. Gonna kill you till you're dead. Ellipsis. Sincerely, the queen. Hashtag slay all day. Hashtag you better run, sucker. Now think about it's not just like that, but son, the new international Jeremy version. Think about think about this. Now he just prayed down fire from heaven. I mean, if I got that little bit, I'd be like, little girl, you better watch out. I mean, if you could pray, can you imagine being able to pray down fire from heaven? So glad God didn't give me that gift. There'd have been all kind of people burnt up in junior high school. Dude's walking around with no eyebrows, but like, keep playing. <laughs> so you would think he would respond powerfully, but yet we find in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. The man of faith is responding in fear. He not matter how strong you've been, the enemy will find your weakness. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there. Then he went on alone. Everybody say alone. And this is why we continually talk about e-groups and small groups. And you got to get in a group. And if you're watching online, find the people around you. Connect in, in the online community. Connect at your campus. Get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Why? Because you were not designed to do life alone. It's the first thing that God said was not good. He looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. The first thing that Jesus did whenever he started his earthly ministry was start a group. There were 12 of them. And one of them in his group was a devil. So everybody in your group ain't gonna be good, but it's okay. I'm playing. Don't laugh at stuff like that. <laughs> Somebody just said, preach. Don't go to her group. I just, you never know who's in there. i play just playing. But he's alone. You don't need, you're not designed to go through the desert alone. But he's alone, he travels all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Remember, this is a man of powerful prayers, but now he's praying. I've had enough, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. This is a man who's now dealing with comparison. Comparison will kill you. Remember, he's a man of prayer, but the content of his prayer has changed. And now he's asking God, the God who brought fire down, the God who brought rain down, he's asking the God whom he serves to kill him. This is a prophet of God dealing with suicidal depression. We don't a lot of times talk about this, but here's the beautiful thing about this. He doesn't bring it to everybody else. He brings it to God. He's frustrated. He's going through anxiety. He's going through frustration and depression, and he doesn't know what to do, but he still keeps his eyes focused on God. Even if his prayers are wrong, they're still going to the right place. So make certain that even if your prayers aren't even powerful prayers and not strong prayers, just keep talking to God, and at some point, he'll be there. Now, I studied this. this man has been threatened most of his life there's only one difference between this threat and the other threats and this one this 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 threat comes from a lady i kind of get that where's all the moms at we love you mama's all campus raise your hand oh look at the moms we love give them a great big hand we love y'all but we scared of y'all that's the truth because we never know where your line is right Like, mommy, you're like, oh, whatever, mommy. She's like, I know, whatever. And the next day, you're like, whatever, mommy. She's like, bam, don't ever say whatever to me. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell this story. When, when I was a kid, my dad started a church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I lived in Winston-Salem for 13 years, shut out Winston-Salem campus. And I was there and, and, uh, and at about 15, by the age of 15, we had a small church youth group, about 30, 40 kids in a youth group. And we had a youth party one night. And, uh, and after the party, the girls had a slumber party and the guys had a not slumber party because you don't want to go to, I mean, like, hey, man, you want to come to my slumber party? No. Um, so we had, we had like a, <laughs> we had a hangout. And so, uh, and so like the goal of the girls slumber party is, oh, let's do each other's hair and makeup. Let's talk about boys. It's going to be fun. I'm oh It's going to be great. And the goal of the guys hangout is get to the girls slumber party. And as the son of the pastor and a natural leader, I felt it was my God-given responsibility to lead this effort. Like, it's my job to to lead these young men to where we are supposed to go. So I'm pretty direct. I went straight to the lady in charge of the the girls. And I was like, hey, what if we come over tonight and scare the girls? I I literally thought she was going to be like, you lost your mind, little boy. But she was like, that is a great idea. I'll leave the garage door open and the door unlocked. And you guys come in. I'll have them around the fire. And you guys just scare them. It'll be great. And I was like, you've lost your mind. I can't believe we let you watch children, but yes, we're in. We went to Walmart. We bought some pantyhose, not to put on, but to pull over our heads because it makes you look crazy. And, and, And we snuck in at about midnight, midnight 30. We come in and we sneak in and she's got all of these girls gathered around the fireplace all the lights off, and she's got like a silver, one of those old silver flashlights under her chin, and she's telling super weird ghost stories. She's like, and the man was walking along the railroad tracks looking for his head, girls, because he couldn't find his hat. Isn't that scary? And the girls were like, lame. They had no idea. It was a setup, and we crept in. We had all the hand motions, and when we, we jumped out on three, we jumped out collectively. It was awesome. We were like, yeah, and they were like, "Ah!" And it was great. And then something different happened. I forgot to tell you, my, my father pastored a, ve- a very diverse church. <laughs> when white girls are scared, they're like, oh my God, Becky, oh God, oh Sabrina, Bethany, come on. Oh, oh God, help us, I'm going in a circle, I don't know what to do, I'm in a circle, I'm in a circle, call your dad, I'm in a circle, help us. When African American girls are scared, it's different. And there's this girl named Kiki standing right there. It's a true story. I jumped out. I was like, yeah. She was like, ah. I was like, got you. She was like, nah, fool. I got you. She grabbed a ficus tree. You know, one of those little little trees at Walmart, your mama gets for thirty nine ninety nine. dollars sets it over as decoration, nah, she turned it into a lightsaber, she started swinging it at your boy, hit me in the face I couldn't get the pantyhose off of my head, she picks up the phone, she's like, Ray Ray call Biggie and me, y'all get over here with Pookie, these fools are acting crazy the Spanish girls are cussing us in Spanish the white girls are like, oh my god, you guys better go, they're gonna be really mad I think they're gonna hurt you guys, you better go really, seriously, run running down the street Ah! pantyhose halfway off our heads on a side note some of y'all ought to get the spirit of kiki and the next time the enemy comes in trying to destroy your life and mess you up and shock you, here's what you ought to do you ought to grab the sword of the Lord and start swinging it and say get thee behind me I serve a God who's greater sit down, that's not even what I'm preaching it's just a side note I thought it was, <laughs> was going to go totally different. It did not. Sometimes that's exactly what happens to us. Got it all planned out. <laughs> Blows up in your face. This is a very unique story in our text, Matthew chapter 11. Because you don't get more proof than John the Baptist had that Jesus is who he says he is. You don't get more proof. Why? John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. You go back back and listen on the podcast, Pastor Stephen's sermon. Invisible prisons, you need to hear it. It's a much better exegetical sermon than this one. (laughs) Go back and hear it. And And he goes through the expectation that John had. Powerhouse man of God, he baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes out of the water, here's here's what happens. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You don't get more proof than John had that Jesus is who he says he is. Yet in Matthew chapter 11, we find John squarely questioning the identity of Jesus. And John the Baptist, who was in prison, and that's the problem. See, when he was in the waters of baptism, powerhouse. Awesome. When I'm in church, whoa, amazing moment. Two hours later, two weeks later, two years later, I'm going through pain. I'm going through heartache. I don't understand why I'm dealing with the situation. And now all of a sudden I'm locked in an invisible prison. Write this down. A prison perspective will always cause you to doubt your destiny. See, on the outside of the prison, I'm filled with faith. But all of a sudden, everything falls apart in my life. And I'm scared to death that God's not going to do what he said he was going to do. And I don't know what prison you're in. Maybe it's, it's your marriage. And you thought the marriage was going to go different than, than this. You guys were so in love. And it was working perfectly. And now your whole world is blown up. Maybe you're looking at your life. And you're in your 30s or your 40s. And you're saying, this is not where I thought I would be. I thought I'd be further along than this. Maybe you're in your 50s, you're dealing with a midlife crisis, you're kind of wondering, what's happening? I I thought it was going to be perfect, and it's not. Maybe your kids have responded wildly. Your finances have crumbled. The business didn't do what you thought it was going to do, or maybe it did, and you're not able to handle the success. Maybe you were hurt by somebody. Maybe you were hurt by somebody in church. Well, let me just tell you this. If you were hurt by somebody in church, and you're back, and but you're kinda keeping your distance. I don't know if anybody's ever told you this, but I'm sorry. If they've never said it, let me say it. I'm sorry for the hurt and the pain that you were caused, but please don't judge the heart of Jesus based on somebody who was supposed to represent him, who did not. He loves you, he cares for you, and he's there for you. But maybe, maybe it's just your own sin. And your own mistakes and your own failures. And you're sitting here going, yeah, man, I I understand what you're saying and I appreciate it. But you don't understand the secret sin that is in my life and the habitual sin that's in my life. And I just can't seem to stop. I can't seem to make a way. And there's no way that God could forgive me because I keep making mistakes. Here's what I want you to know. Your God loves you. And every time you make a mistake, my Bible says he makes mercy because his mercy endures forever. And every morning, his mercies are new. Great is thy faithfulness. (laughs) Here's what I want you to understand. And if you don't know this, your faith is more important than your failure. God is more interested in your future than he is in your failure because he can overcome your failure as long as you continue to trust him. Simon Peter is a powerhouse man of God. Jesus selects him. What a great guy. He's wild. Simon Peter will curse you. He'll cut your ear off and commit faithfulness to Jesus all at the same time. We would not even hire him here at Elevation. He could not be a campus pastor. But he's, he's one of Jesus' top guys. And he's always walking around with swagger like he's got it together. Like, he, like Jesus, I'm your ride or die. When all these guys leave you, who's going to be here? Yeah, boy. And Jesus says, Luke chapter 22, verse 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Now, I want you to notice his prayer. Jesus prays a very non-religious prayer. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That's weird. That's not the kind of prayer that we would pray. We would pray, Simon Peter, I have prayed for thee. That thou wilt not fail and continue to be an embarrassment to the family of God. But he doesn't pray that. In fact, Jesus Jesus actually tells him when he's going to fail and how many times he's going to fail. You're going to deny me three times before the end of the day. But when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You keep writing yourself out of the story and God keeps writing you back in. What is he saying? Your failure does not define your future. If you'll continue to put it in my hands, I've called you for a purpose and your pain will not negate it. Trust me. But it's hard. It's hard to trust him because we deal with doubt, don't we? Young father brings his son to Jesus, he actually brings him to the disciples first. He says, hey, can you guys pray for my son? Can you pray for my son? He, he, he's going through all kinds of stuff. and He's vexed and there's all kinds of stuff. And can you please pray? And the disciples are like, yes, we'll pray for him. And nothing happens when they pray. Yeah, hate when that happens. So he brings him to Jesus. Kind of a last resort, brings him to Jesus. He says, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, Mark chapter 9. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child very honestly cries out and says with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I got belief and I got unbelief in there. And the Lord looks at him and says, Oh, (laughs) really? You're going to walk up in here and you're going to tell me that you don't believe? Go to the back of the line, build your faith, and then come back up here and stop embarrassing everybody. That's not what God says make sure that you don't just trust what you hear read it for yourself Jesus straightway heals the boy you mean in spite of unbelief Yeah, because that's how much he loves you he's looking for a way to save you not for a way to kill you he's looking for a way to redeem you not for a way to curse you the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever So here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, write this down. Even when you doubt, God still shows up. Even when I'm in an invisible prison, God can show up in the midst of the invisible prison. John chapter 20, verse 19. Says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Everybody say locked doors. See, their expectation after the death, the burial, and the resurrection was not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. But nobody was at the tomb when he did, except for the guards. You and I kind of think that we would have stronger faith than that, right? Like, I'd throw a tomb tailgate party. I'd have the Bee Gees there singing, Stay in the alive, stay alive, Jesus come walking out. <laughs> Listen, guys, the real preacher will be back next weekend, so let's just keep focused, okay? But that's not what happens. Jesus comes out of the tomb, and they are hiding in a room, scared. It says they're locked in for fear of the Jews. They're afraid that the same thing is going to happen to them that happened to Jesus and Jesus appears in the midst of them suddenly and he's standing there and he says peace be unto you which is awesome because it doesn't say that he used the door or he used a window it says the doors were locked and suddenly boom Jesus appears which tells me no matter what invisible prison that you are in when you can't get out he can always get in we serve a God who can reach into a deep dark black hole grab a doorknob that doesn't exist and open a door that's not there and make a way where there is no way you just gotta trust But that's not even the awesome part of the story. The awesome part of the story happens in verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. We've all heard of Doubting Thomas. Most of us have. If you're new to church, he's called Doubting Thomas. And this is where he gets the moniker. He's called the twin. He's one of the 12. So he's a disciple. And he was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. And it was awesome. And Thomas gets sick of it you ever miss the party? Like you find out about the party on Instagram? You're like, oh, cool, 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 cool. You guys had a party, okay? Like, unlike. Just so want to make sure you know, unlike. <laughs> you ever had an awesome service? Elevation Pastor Steven was up here preaching, rocking it in his leather jacket. Super cool tennis shoes. This is the coolest shoes I've got. He's preaching. Somebody tells you, like, bro, you, bro, you missed it. It was amazing. Pastor Stephen was preaching. He levitated. It was great. That was about to... <laughs> I'm sorry, Pastor Stephen. And you're like, hey, I wasn't there. Hush. Stop talking. I had to work. And this is where Thomas is. And he says something actually a little scary. He gets sick of it. And he says this, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into his side, I will not believe. Now we have a conundrum because we have a disciple who's declared strong believer, declaring his unbelief and putting a caveat on his faith. So what is Jesus going to do about that? I love it because we find out verse 26 and after eight days. Everybody say eight days. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. It is important that when you are in a lack of faith, then you are dealing with invisible prisons, you stay around strong believers. Because sometimes your faith is not enough, but the faith of people around you will bring a powerful thing inside of you. And he's with the other believers. And Jesus came. Boom! The doors were shut. And he stood in the midst, and he said, Peace be to you. Then he turns to Thomas. I love this part. He says, hey, Thomas, look. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. Here's the awesome part about this. Look at me. Look at me. Here's the awesome part about this. He had already come for everybody else. And the one guy who didn't have enough faith at all who would put a caveat on his faith Jesus shows up for him because that's his purpose he's the one who will leave the 99 and he will go for the one lost and out of all the thousands of people that I'm preaching to this weekend he's reaching for one we count by thousands he counts by ones and you know who you are and he's reaching for you saying I love you I came for you Stand with me across all of our campuses. In the 1980s, in the country of Armenia, there was an earthquake. Killed 25,000 people immediately. Millions left homeless. In that morning, a, a young father had dropped his elementary-aged son off at school and said the things that fathers say, I love you, I'll see you this afternoon. And he left. And a, a mile down the road, he watched as the road rippled in front of his car, Buildings swayed side by side, the terror that only a father can feel. He turned his car around, precariously made his way back to the location of the school. And to his shock, it was flat, rock upon rock, grieving, lost in horrific, painful grief. He leaves the car running. He leaves the door open. And he crawls across the rocks and the rubble to the approximate location of his son's class. And he begins to dig. People come and say, listen, it's futile. There's no way anybody could survive that. He says, leave me alone. He digs for hours upon hours upon hours, 12 hours, 15 hours, 24 hours. Finally, people realize he's, he's simply digging his grief away so that later on he can live with himself because he tried. But in the 36th hour, daddy hears a noise and he screams for help and they come and they help him remove a rock unearthing a cavern and inside of that cavern is 13 students and a teacher and one of the students is his son and he said daddy I kept telling them you would come And here's what I've come to Elevation Church to tell you. That's a human story about a human daddy. My Bible says if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to you? I don't know what doubt and depression and anxiety is covering you an invisible prison you're in, but I know you've got a holy God who's releasing you and digging rock by rock and saying, Hang on! coming for you. Father, I thank you right now for sending your one and only son to die a sinless life snuffed out on a cruel cross. He went to the cross, but he didn't stay there. He went to the tomb, but he didn't stay there. He arose alive and victorious so that we can live free. So in this moment, we declare when I can't get out. You can get in. So I invite you in to my invisible prison, the visible power, God. Thank you for setting me free. Can we give him an ovation of worship that only a king is worthy of right now? Come on, lift up Jesus.